is GapoGo for December 1st. Keep up to date with the important happenings in the Go community in just 15 minutes per week. I'm Shai Nechmad. Good morning, Shai. I'm Jonathan Hall. Morning. I'm cold. Yeah, we're... You're wearing a hat. You look freezing. Cold. What else is frozen? Go 122. Ta-da. That's a good one. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we're jumping ahead. Yeah, let's let's uh, get into it. This week is almost totally focused on community stuff. We don't have anything official from the Go team. I think everyone's still recovering from vacation. But we do have two quote-unquote official uh, news pieces. The first one is pre-release of 1.21.5 and 1.20.12. Unsurprisingly, this is a security fix. It should come out on December 5th. So just mark that on your calendar to make sure to update. Includes a private security fix to the standard library. My bet it's it's something to do with parsing, HTML, texting, whatever. It's either net HTTP or or text H or crap. My it's always the TIFF TIFF library, right? Like anyone is using TIFF format at all. We just recently talked to Yuho about finding all these vulnerabilities and whatever. I assume it's very exciting for the person who's like waiting for that security fix to drop. But for the rest of us, another upgrade to mark down on the calendar. But there's another thing to mark on the calendar. Why are we so cold? Everybody chill. <laughs> yeah, Go 1.22 has, has been frozen, meaning no new features will be added. And they added a rule this time that hasn't been in effect in the past. Even in progress, CLs are frozen. That means that they won't be making it to 1.22. They'll be postponed for 1.23. And Go 1.22 RC1 is expected to be tagged in just a couple of weeks on uh, December 12th. So this is that exciting time where we all start talking about all the great new features we're going to be using come February. Yeah, Valentine's Day is our bet, right? Yeah, yeah. I have my fingers crossed for Valentine's Day. Yeah, so, so you know, we'll probably do a special episode once uh, 122 drops, so we're not going to cling to every single uh, news piece about it. We're just going to wait for it to drop, and then we're going to talk about wh- what was shipped. But if there's anything interesting in the works, we'll obviously mention it. And like we said, because of uh, the holidays and whatever, uh, there's not a lot of uh, proposal news. So we decided to focus on some community stuff we saw around our channel and around the interwebs. We're actually going to start, unfortunately, with Reddit. (laughs) Um, Because there was an interesting, well, a somewhat interesting question. But I found very interesting was the answer. So someone got on the Golang subreddit and asked, I'm coming from the Java world. What conventions should I drop in Go? And before we dive into it, what do you say? Do you have a Java background? Did you ever do some Java work? I never did Java, thank God. Never, never? Never. Scala, Clojure, nothing? Never. I have reviewed a couple of Java pull requests uh, for some colleagues. Well, I'm jealous as someone who had to do some Java, A for university and B in some like data engineering context. My university was all C, C++ and assembly. That's cool. My high school was uh, all uh, assembly, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> but I have definitely worked with a bunch of Java developers, and I've seen a lot of Java written in Go. And uh, you know, when you start to see sec- seventeen layers of factory methods, you know that you know that they're coming from a Java world. Yeah, so there's a bunch of uh, easy stuff to to poke out, right? Obviously, factory manager, factory generator, template, uh, strategy, factory class uh, is not really Go-ish. I wouldn't Go-ish, Goian. Like Californian, yeah. I wouldn't go with Golangian. Yeah, um, I don't like that one. But the main thing I at least think about is you know you don't have to wait for the compiler yeah. too much, yeah. right? Because even just a super basic program, 
in Java, you click compile, it takes forever. In Go, obviously, that's that's that was a focus of the language, and the build process is really fast. Anyway, this is like an interesting discussion. Anybody can like poke fun at Java. It's really fun because it's easy. It's also very slow, so it can't hit you back. But the thing that caught my eye was the answer from Matt Proud, the most upvoted answer, and for really good reason, just wrote like a whole blog post about, I was primarily an enterprise Java developer. I think what happened was he started writing and then sort of his hands took over, you know what I mean? Because it says a couple of observations and it sounds like it's going to, and then you have- treatise of observations. (laughs) 10 commandments, even on my computer screen, I have to scroll to read everything. And there's a lot of really good stuff here. Even if you're not from Java, there's a lot of good tips here. For example, the name of a Go package uh, matters a lot more than the import path, which in Java is not really true because you always have to go like com dot blah dot blah dot blah. Exception uh, design and error is 100% thing the same, but in Go, obviously, you return a new error. And you know, if you come from Java, you might want to create finalizers. He says. Lean away from that and lean into defer, which is something that I think for you know Java developers or Python developers is going to be really hard to like feel comfortable with. And the last thing is that the standard library has a ton of batteries included, which is something again coming from other languages is usually kind of hard to grasp. That you can build a whole enterprise app with you know just a few extra libraries to help you along your way, and you don't have to import what's that the JavaScript library is even. Yeah. Don't have to import all those stuff. So a really good answer. I recommend just go reading it and go upvoting it. Really nice work, Matt Proud, keeping the community, I think, really high quality with these types of answers. Nice to see on Reddit, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Rather than just a bunch of flame bait, some actual thought went into this one. What was the last Reddit thing we, we saw? We saw the, the operator name. It's Go called oh, yeah. uh, Go because uh, colon equals is the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so sometimes you can find some higher quality uh, discussion there. Talking about high quality discussion, do you want to share that blog post you found? Yeah, so here's one. It's uh, since we're doing language comparisons today, apparently. Mm-hmm. Here's a, a post that I saw a couple places actually from Preslav Rochev. I hope I say that right. Uh, the title is Python is easy, Go is simple. Simple does not equal easy. And it's, it's not a really in depth article, but it and it's nothing earth shattering to somebody who's been thinking about this before, but it is a nice reminder that easy and simple are not the same thing. Uh, whether it comes to a programming language or an automobile or your favorite phone operating system or whatever. And you know, th- this is a debate that I, I remember being involved in way back in the early days when everyone was like Windows versus Mac, you know, in the Windows 3.1 days. And I was like, Mac is easier. Uh, and I remember saying back then, yeah, it may be easier to learn. That doesn't necessarily mean it's easier to use once you've learned it. And I think that's kind of the same point that is being made here. That, uh, Python is easy. It has a nice low barrier to entry, but that doesn't mean it's simple. In fact, it's very not simple. <laughs> uh, it has a lot of complexity hidden behind the scenes. Go, on the other hand, is simple. So it, it's just a nice little comparison, a nice reminder that these two concepts that we often conflate are not the same. Yeah, I think, first of all, it's worth uh, mentioning that we already uh, mentioned Preslov's blog on the show because uh, mm-hmm. he shouted us out. But seems like he's writing a lot. Uh, and I, I, I love that. I love uh, people who lean into writing a lot and writing interesting stuff. I do want to mention, if, if you want a bit more in-depth understanding of the words simple and easy when it comes to programming, especially for someone like me who's, you know, English is second language, if we have more people listening who these words might translate the same into your language, there's a really, really good lecture by Rich Hickey. 
apparently we're talking about uh, JVM languages a lot today as well. <laughs> um, so Rich Hickey is the brains behind Clojure, which is for me the language that got away along with Rust, like languages I'm trying to learn, but they're just mm -hmm. not productive enough for me to, to actually hunger down and become professional at. But this lecture, even though I, I don't program in Clojure professionally, it's just such a good lecture about what does simple mean? What does easy mean? Like, what do these words mean? Where did they come from? And what did they mean in, in the context of programming? For example, ORMs are very easy because you can hook up objects to your DB and you don't have to worry about it. But they are the opposite of simple because it's very hard to use. They hide a ton of complexity from you. And when you want to, you know, untangle this like web of interactions and whatever the ORM is created for you, it becomes very hard because it's complex, which comes from the word complicated, interwoven within one another. Uh, it, sorry, it doesn't come from the word complicated. It comes from complected, which is a different word. Uh, anyway, you should really watch that lecture. I'll, I'll put that link in the show notes. Even though it's not a go talk, I really recommend it. Very cool. Another banger from uh, Presslove. Keep on coming, man. We, we love your, we love your uh, writing, especially when it's about us. <laughs> so one more thing we saw around the community actually this is from our channel which is a good place to shout out our channel couple go uh, in the gopher slack so mihai which who's a great friend of the show was an interviewee was a co-host now he's posting in our channel i guess he's trying to take over the show uh <laughs> i'm just kidding we got our eyes on you mihai <laughs> yeah yeah stay in your lane <laughs> so <laughs> Um, uh, we talked last week about the Go doc proposal, right? Where you can go doc a specific version of a package. And that like kicked off a whole discussion uh, about why would you even need that? Because, you know, we, you can just go online and whatever. And there were a few interesting uh, answers. One from you, right? Something about a relative uh, version, a relative uh, paths. Yeah. So one of the reasons that I like to use uh, Go doc on the command line is because I can give it a path relative to my work, working directory. So like go doc, period, for example, will show me the doc for the whatever directory I'm in. And you can't do that with the, the web. Yeah. I'm wondering if they will you know, develop at some point like a like command K for the go doc site in the same sense that every other site you open right there, like Spotify or, or Slack or Jira or all these enterprise -y sites. They sort of hooked onto this command K from Slack to search everything. I'm wondering if they'll do that as well. Mm. But, you know, th there's a lot of reasons. Also, for me, um, I, I mentioned offline development. If you have an air, air gap network, you're just not connected to the internet, but you have a, your own package and you vendored all the dependencies, you can still look at the documentation the way the author's meant for you to look at. Although you can do that with the Go doc uh, server command as well, running locally. Uh, you can still render that to a, a website. So um, that is another option. But so that was an interesting discussion. But yeah. actually, what we wanted to highlight was really cool shell completion library that uh, Ralph uh, Stubbe shared. I think it's called Carapace Bin. I'm super happy because he posted it, and then I was like, "Oh, this looks cool! It has a ton of colors in the, and it does completion, uh, which is something I, I really like when it works." And then I hooked it up, and it does work, and it looks really good. Like I'll type go a tab. There's nothing, there's no go A command, right? I'll type go B tab and it'll like complete me to BU and it says either go bug or go build. Now, mm -hmm. this is good for two reasons. One, all right, it brought me to go build, which is what I wanted to type. 
But also the thing I like about completion engines, you know, why I like, for example, scrolling through all the functions in my IDE after typing period instead of typing the whole function out. Because usually I find stuff that I don't know about and then I learn about it, right? I like copy code from somewhere that says, oh, you need to do this for loop to do this thing with a, I don't know, with a data frame or whatever. Then I'll type period and it says, oh, here's the function you wanted. We already developed it, right? So I, for example, forgot about go bug. Who remembers? I didn't even know about that one. Yeah. Uh, but now I, I know about it. And it does, it does like a ton of uh, completions, not just for Go, but basically for every program that's relevant. And I really recommend checking it out. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. It should be a pretty easy install. doesn't work for everyone. At least seems like it, right? Uh, but hopefully uh, John will be able to install it soon enough. Yeah, I had some difficulties. but Yeah. And also behind the uh, tool, there's a cool blog post about like all the different shells and the, all the documentation is pretty rich as well. So thanks, Ralph, for sharing it. It's, it's a very cool tool. And it does work really well with GoDoc. He shared some screenshot in the, like a GIF in the, in the thread. So you all can check it out as well. Thanks for sharing. Another shout out to, to our Slack channel. Uh, Peter Arnoff pointed to a little, is it even a blog post? It's like three paragraphs. It's a very short post that points to the testing.tb interface in the standard library from the testing package. Uh, the testing.tb interface is what backs testing.t and testing.b. So you probably use this all the time and may not realize it. But the interesting thing, and the, the post shows the full definition of the interface, uh, it's mostly exported methods, things like error and fail and skip and things like this that we're all familiar with. But then at the end, there's a private method, uh, and it's just called private, unexported. And the comment on it says, a private method to prevent users implementing the interface so that future additions to it will not violate the Go1 compatibility promise. And so this post is just calling out this interesting idea of including a single private private method in an otherwise public interface to prevent others from implementing it. It is an interesting technique. Um, it, it's not without some drawbacks, in my opinion. But I'm curious, have you seen this before, Shai? So I've tried to do it in the past by putting a huge comment on top. I've tried to do it in the past by naming the interface, single interface. or I try to signal to developers through the medium of text. Uh, but I think it's a it's a much stronger signal through the medium of oh I have to implement another thing and then when I look at the documentation about how to implement it it tells me don't implement this so I did the thing just not with a I guess proper technique but I guess proper is not really fair to say right because it does clutter the actual interface and it's also not that hard to circumvent nothing is going to call that function so you can just uh, raise a runtime error or whatever right so. I mean, it's quite easy to circumvent this this check if you want to, but the, I think the key is you have to do it intentionally. And the easy way to circumvent it is to just have your implementation embed one of the official implementations that has that private method on it, and then suddenly you satisfy the interface correctly, and uh, and you're you're good to go. But it requires an effort on your part, so you know I think that proves that it served its purpose. I think the bigger question is uh, that the last comment of the the post says it's probably something that most GoPIs could take advantage of. And I would push back on that a little bit. The whole point of an interface, usually, is to allow unknown implementations to do, to do the thing. So if you suddenly start doing this on most of your APIs, you're probably violating that principle. Uh, but there are times when it is appropriate. And one thing worth mentioning, as, as usually happens, when this post was shared with us, I went looking through the blog, because I like blogs, and it's a really good blog. Uh, we have some more stuff we want to... Take a look at, uh, like you mentioned, 
it has a different form factor. You have articles, which are like proper posts. You have atoms, which are sort of like a tweet, which is what we reviewed right now. And you even have fragments, which is just like a note, uh, really super short notes that Brandon shares. I really like this form factor. It looks like a lot of love went into the site. They do have some more stuff uh, coming up, so I, I, we would love to talk to them with a new job queue they're they're trying to post. Let's see if we can get a hang of them. If not, we'll I'll install it myself and see how well it works. But a really good blog. Uh, yep. We recommend you check it out. All right, and that does it for this week. Stick around for a really interesting interview. Who are we meeting today? Today we'll be talking to Sam Lone, my ex-boss. Ooh, yeah. spicy. All right, see you then. Thanks once again for listening to this week's episode of Cup of Go. Just a reminder, we are looking for sponsors. If you or your company would be interested in owning this spot in our listeners' ears in the coming episodes, hit us up. You can contact us at news at cupago.dev or our website, cupago.dev. If you're interested in chatting to me or Shai or many of our other listeners, come by our Slack channel. It's at cupago kebab case on the gopher slack there should be a link in the show notes if you're having trouble finding that and a reminder that we have merch available we sell mugs this is a cup a go show so you can buy your own cup a go cup shy is also preparing uh, t-shirts and hoodies so that should be live on our merch store in just a few days if not sooner so if you're interested in some wearable swag with a cup a go logo with brewster uh, check that out too and to celebrate Go's 14th birthday, we're offering a 14% discount on any merch that you buy between now and the end of the year. So check out code HAPPYBDAY14 when you buy from our merch store to save 14%. I think that wraps it up for the break. We're going to be doing an interview with Sam Lone, who's talking to us about invoicing and electronic invoicing in Go. It's a fascinating conversation. Stick around for that. And we'll see you next week. <music> Say, Jonathan, yeah. are you vegan? No, I'm not. I'm like uh, 50% vegan. Yeah. Um, I, I really stick to that percent, even a little bit more. And there's one tradition I really like, the pardoning of the turkey. Every oh. Thanksgiving, the president pardons one. Do you know they have names? The, the turkeys have names. Yeah. Okay. This year it was Liberty and Bell, which is kind of nice. That's but cute. you know what the problem with these turkeys are? What? They just gobble everything up. But um, ching I wonder if there's any uh, gobbling experts on the call that can help us with that. Oh, hi, Sam. Hi. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Worst <laughs> intro of a couple go so far. It's up there. It's up there. It's quite good, though. It, it's definitely an indication we need to get a logo for, for Gobble sorted out. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was the best intro possible for that, yeah. Yeah, we have a Brewster set up, so we, we, I, I could give you some advice. Cool. Brewster's our, our, our show logo, yeah. Uh, okay, okay. Well, I'm trying to think of like a mixture between like the Go figuring thing uh-huh. and uh and the turkey we haven't had time to investigate yet but yeah any suggestions that would be awesome <laughs> all right uh well sam how about you introduce yourself yeah so i'm sam i'm classify myself as a software developer and uh, i'm currently creating a, a startup called invopop which is kind of a spin-off idea from my previous startup um a company called cabify which is a, a ride hailing company we started back in 2011 out of spain and launched in about 12 different countries globally. And uh, yeah, I was there from the very beginning, battling with kind of Ruby and Node.js when we started that project. And that's where I discovered Go. 
And yeah, one of the complications of Cabify was that we launched in all these different countries and we had to comply with local regulations on invoicing. So what that implied was doing some kind of integration with a local government service and sending invoices off in real time and lots of complicated things that we didn't have time to deal with. Um, so we ended up doing lots of things manually. And that's when I came up with the idea for Invopop. I thought, wouldn't it be nice if there was a service out there that tried to make life easier for developers to have a single integration point and the service is responsible for doing all of these local integrations and sending everything, uh, all this, this information wherever it's needed. So I've been working for about three years now on the project. Um, I had a kind of a slow start. I wanted to kind of work on the on the open source side a little bit. Um, and that's where Gobble comes in. It's our kind of Go project. It's, it stands for Go Business Language. Go Business Language. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we put it in Go and like capital letters, so it's not totally associated with Go, but that, that's where the origins, that's the origin story, if you like. And and yeah, the, yeah, the idea is to try and create this project for developers that um, uses JSON schema to generate business documents, predominantly invoices, in a format that's really easy to, to understand and use and globally compatible and, and has, um, you know, the Gobble library itself has definitions for local taxes and, and stuff like that. And it's all completely, completely open. And so what we're trying to do as well is build a lot of tools that help you kind of convert this format into whatever is required locally as well. So like if you're in Mexico, for example, they have a CFDI format there. Um, so the, there's a tool there that allows you to convert your kind of JSON into into the local format there. Um, and then that's what we use in Invopop to, with a workflow engine to kind of move the data along so it's easier for companies to integrate. That makes that's sense? That's really cool. It sounds very difficult and we'll definitely grill you on all the difficult parts of it. But before we, you know, dive into a gobble, first of all, go uh, open the library and start it if you're listening. Even just the uh, tax, you know, subdirectory in the in the open source package is giving me, uh, I'm like scared <laughs> of even touching it. So someone else doing it for me and doing it in Go, I mean, come on. But before we jump into that, I have another question. You used to be Jonathan's boss? Kind of. I, I've never really considered myself a boss. But we, we work together on a on a, a very complicated project. <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was a complicated situation. But yeah, no, I, actually, um, because where John and I have something strange in common, we both like CouchDB, which that is uh, strange. isn't it is. that, yeah, it's... not many people like that. So, so I, I came across John's profile actually while using Kivik, which is the John's library written in Go for accessing CouchDB databases. And, you know, just randomly got in touch with us. We were looking for people to kind of help us with the, the last kind of spin-off project from the last company. And yeah, John said yes. So yeah, that's how we ended up working together for a while. And I worked briefly uh, with Invopop as well. So if you go to the Gobble yeah. library, you'll see my name as a, as a contributor. I didn't do anything yeah, like earth-shattering the C- there. The CLI but stuff, some... right? And that, yeah, yeah that's, that's still pretty much as you left, actually, John. Yeah. Uh, cool. Which is a testament that it's really good code. <laughs> I really want to do the whole collaborating with uh, John uh, Gossip, but he's on the call, so I don't know if... <laughs> <laughs> I can drop off for 10 point. minutes and let you guys have a chat. <laughs> no, 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 unfortunately, later, this so. is recorded and published, so we'll have to keep that to you know our secret, uh, not published to John's phone uh, podcast. Um, for Patreon viewers, you can, uh, pa- Patreon subscribers, <laughs> you can get the hot gossip behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think the obvious question at least for me, is, isn't it like hard and scary to try to claim I'm, I'm going to be your gateway to global regulations? Because, you know, if when doing global schemas and, and data sort of consolidation for different industries is super, super valuable. 
We had someone on the show that does this for the for like genomes and bioengineering and whatever. And then we were like, oh, this is super cool. This is super cool. This is super cool. But now that I think about these schemas, I'm like super worried. Quite a few mess up and someone gets their invoice, you know, cut by two digits. Or you mess up with the local tax because the government was overthrown and now the, all the taxes have to go to the new dictator or whatever. Like th- that's yeah. a, the f- my first question. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I don't worry about it too much. And this is one of the things you discover when working with these types of projects that most people don't really know what they're doing anyway. Most people, that's a terrible thing to say. But like, when you when you look at companies and the way they deal with a lot of these situations, people tend to like fumble through anyway. So that, that kind of lowers the barriers to worrying about that sort of stuff. Um, I, th- I think what is interesting for Gobble as well, we, we have this kind of aspirational side that we would like to see like a global international standard that was easy to use and based on a, a, like a language. But I think setting out to create a project like that from the very beginning is, is, is really hard. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if that's a good way of doing, trying to do something. So for us, kind of Gobble is like a means to an end. So we, we basically needed in, in InvoPop a way to, to be able to create invoices globally. And, and there's just simply nothing out there. You know, you can, there are some kind of XML formats. But nobody likes working with XML. I mean, literally nobody likes working with XML. I mean, I did speak to a regulator once who said, yeah, I kind of get used to it. But yeah, I mean, really, it's, you know, nobody, nobody really likes doing, working with that. So we, we, we needed something that would get the job done and help us to, uh, help us to, you know, reach all these different places and make a pleasant experience. So for us, it's kind of a means to an end. Um, if it does become something popular, I mean, one of the cool things with our format is that you can embed it in any PDF document. So if you do send an invoice, you can just embed this gobble document. And so you avoid all this kind of rubbishy OCR stuff. And AI is pretty good now, obviously, but it's still not. 100% accurate, and there's nothing compared to like reading the the precise data directly. So that's where we, we see opportunity. But yeah, setting out to create something like that, extremely challenging. And to go back to the point on, on reliability of the data, I think that's where the open source bit comes in. You know, if something doesn't look right, you can literally go in and change it. And that, that's one of our big kind of selling points from the company side now. Um, if you see your data going into the system doesn't come out as you expect it, you can see the, the actual code that does the conversion. And, and I think that's extremely powerful as a developer. Like you tell that to a business guy, they probably couldn't care less. But as a developer, <laughs> yeah. for, for me, that's, that's like really cool and useful. I always have to take a, a moment whenever someone says they couldn't care less. Wait, do you mean they could? Do you mean they couldn't? But I guess they could. <laughs> you got it right this time, but I had to stop and think. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's like a, like a Yorkshire thing, I guess, as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Yorkshire, by the way. I could have mentioned that. <laughs> You say globally, but I assume it's not actually all over the globe, right? Like, I assume invoicing in North Korea is kind of difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it aspires to go global. That would be the correct phrase. Um, so it, it could potentially be there. So we put a lot of emphasis in, in trying to make it so they can be used everywhere. I think at the moment we have like 12 different countries or something defined in the, in the Go code. Because that, that's the way it works at the moment. So we have this kind of basic structure in Go. Uh, loads of structs. We use a, a library called JSON schema that converts these Go structs into a JSON schema. And uh, we have inside the Go code like a, a set of different packages for each region. So you like have a package for Spain, for Holland, Mexico. And, and these packages define kind of the local taxes and local validation rules and, and anything that's kind of required locally for it, for it to operate. And then that's where you can figure out all the different details. And these are also exported into JSON as well. Um, so you can access it from potentially any language. And of course, the cool thing here, and this is a project that John actually helps us with. The cool thing with Go 
is that you can compile it into anything. Um, and one of those anythings is, is WASM, so WebAssembly. So we've, we still have a, um, a WebAssembly package that you, you, know, you can use from a website, and you can potentially use these kind of library and, and code every, any way you like, which I think is, is just super, super incredibly powerful. So you just mentioned JSON schema. And as I recall, you or, or Invopop took over maintenance of one of the JSON schema libraries. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. One of the tools to to go back. I don't, I don't think we're doing a very good job of it recently. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to maintain projects. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah yeah we we did uh, we did take on board on the projects. We, we needed a few extra features, and it was difficult to get them in into the into the original project. So we we just decided, hey, we just we just take take mm-hmm. it over because it's it's kind of core to what we're trying to do at Gobble. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious. So Gobble uses JSON schema, but obviously not the whole world does. So there has to be a translation layer. And in the README here, I can see that you can convert into a couple different uh, formats for Mexico, for Spain. How universally convertible is the data that Gobble understands? I mean, is it is it more? I mean, obviously that's the goal. You aspire to be global, but realistically, uh, how? I can imagine that some comp- some countries, some even maybe even some cities have requirements that are very unique and specific to their situation. I'm just imagining the the time time zones thing, right? You want to <laughs> convert an invoice that's delivered on a certain time in a certain place to a, a certain different place. Just converting the timestamp correctly is something I would be worried about. <laughs> yeah, timestamps are no. I mean, the, the timestamps are pretty standardized. You can do those in the the ISO format. There, that's <laughs> pretty easy. Um, but yeah, that, that's one of the big challenges. Um, so, there, what we kind of saw is that ninety five percent of any given invoice is pretty much the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the useful bits. Yeah, the useful bits in terms of a company. You know, the, who's selling it, who's buying it, codes, line items, totals, taxes, etc. So, most of that is pretty much the same everywhere. Certainly, as far as the com- company's concerned. Where the complexity comes in is a lot of local countries require additional details. And, and this is kind of create a lot of your potential listeners here might, might not know this, so especially from the US. We had a lot of problems when we went through Y Combinator at the beginning of this year trying to explain the project. Because if you've been in Europe, you know what an invoice is um, and pretty much anywhere else. In the US, it's not quite so clear what exactly an invoice is. Right. Um, so we had to actually come up with a phrase to describe the project. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you that two sentences. Uh, uh, Invopop helps global software companies comply with local regulations. We do that by receiving a copy of every sale and making sure it gets to the right tax authority in the right format. Mm-hmm. Okay, And that kind of sets the scene a bit. So if you're in Mexico, for example, every single invoice that you generate, so every single sale has to go to the government in real time and has to get a seal of approval before you can send it to the customer. Okay, What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is, it's not obvious. Okay, <laughs> I remember being confused by this as an American living in Mexico. The first time I went to Office Depot to buy a printer cartridge or something, they're like, do you want an invoice? I'm like, yeah, thinking they meant like a receipt. They're like, all right, here, put, put down your tax info and like fill out this form. I'm like, what are you talking about? I just want a receipt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all of that comes from the like the local regulation on taxes, so things like VAT and and everything else. Because the US doesn't have VAT; it has a sales tax. And um, so everything you sell as a like a percentage of that goes to the government. That's quite easy to deal with, except for the staggering complexity on different tax rates. Right. Much of the rest of the world uses VAT, which of course has the advantage that as a a company that receives an invoice with VAT, you can deduct it. So that means the, 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 the invoice itself becomes a very important document that you need to manage. Um, and that's where a lot of the complexity comes from locally, so from taxes, making sure you get the right taxes and everything else. And in Gobble, we just have a list of what the local definitions are. If there's a lot of complexity, um, we just say, just put in your own rates uh, and, and we can deal with it. Um, the complication comes from specific requirements in governments that have additional fields. So for example, again, Mexico 
good example. You need to know what tax regime the customer is in, for example. Mm. You also need to know what usage they're going to do with the invoice. There's a few classifications that you have to ask the customer for those details to put it on the invoice. Um, and there's a, a big database. This, this, this one I love. Like in Mexico, they, they, they're crazy. <laughs> they, they have a database of 50,000 different codes that identify everything that you sell. Like different shades of roses have different codes oh that you God. need to include on the invoice, which obviously is not humanly possible for anyone to kind of manage that. But yeah. uh, the, you have to put, add one of these codes. So the way we do with that in Gobble is we have extensions. So we kind of copped out. We didn't try and map the, <laughs> the code into that. Mm -hmm. So we say, hey, look, if you have a local thing that's weird, um, use this key, assign the value you need for it, and then we'll just attach that to wherever it's relevant in the invoice. Okay. And that's something that wouldn't be convertible. Like if I, I tried to take a Mexican invoice and convert it to Israeli uh, receipt, uh, like this specific field, you will filter out because it's an extension. That exactly, exactly. It's additional. You don't really need to read it. Even if, if you know what it is, you can read it, mm -hmm. but otherwise you just ignore it. That, that's the objective. Cool. What other, you know, I'm perusing in the repo because it's just so, uh, there's something vicariously interesting reading these JSONs and trying <laughs> to figure out all the little weirdnesses of, uh, of human society. Uh, and I see that uh, Poland is up next. Uh, there's a draft yeah. PR for the uh, for Poland regime. I really like that word, like regime. Yeah, it's, it's tax regime. Uh, if you oh, call it regime, okay. <laughs> it's not a political statement about the new election. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know when you append the word tax and it makes the second word nicer. <laughs> oh, it's a tax that, regime. No problem. Uh, usually, it's worse, right? So, oh, this is my haven. Oh, it's a tax haven. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I see you're bringing in Poland as well. Is that something that's coming from the community or is that something coming from like InvoProp needs and something that's like you back up? I'm asking because, you know, in open source, there are two like schools of thought. This is a community project. And the promise you get is if the community backs out, you're out, which is something a lot of companies don't like to build on. A lot of individuals might be worried about. Uh, and the other end of the scale is the HashiCorp stuff, right? There's a single company behind it. If if they decide to rewrite it in Ruby, then it's going to be rewritten in Ruby and there's nothing. Or if they decide to close source it, there's nothing you can do about it. What would you say is the like balance here with uh, Gobble? Is it more community or is it more your company kind of thing? Yeah. No, at the moment, it has to be our company because simply not many people are using it. The The long-term objective is for it to be more completely open. And we, we, did, we specifically chose the Apache 2 license there's no, there's no kind of commercial weird license there. Um, we want everything we do on that side to be completely open. And, and you know, our eventual game aim is to, to get random people contributing to the project. I'm, I'm, I'm really keen, for example, to see someone contribute tax supporting Timbuktu, for example. That's like, <laughs> that, that would be awesome. That, that's, where, that's where we want to get to. I think we're a long way off that. And no, what we're doing at the moment in Poland, actually, this is a bit of an experiment. We're experimenting with a local team there who are generating, creating the open source project to convert Gobble into the local format. And it's a bit of an experiment. We've not done that before. Um, we're going to see what it looks like. But like the Polish local invoicing format, they have a, a similar system to Mexico. So it's all centralized. You have to send copies of invoices to local government. The XML format, so they have an XML format, is written in Polish. Oh, like, they haven't translated, the, I mean, literally the, the fields. The tags are in Polish? The tags are in Polish. <laughs> well, at least they picked an easy language. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's a simple character set? 
<laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess they're not using local characters for that. I mean, that would, that would just be crazy. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the not just that as well. They're actually just using codes for complicated subjects. So like P12-AB is like a specific meaning in the, in the XML document. So they actually gave up trying to do <laughs> Polish, Polish names for the field. And I said, so what the guys are doing in Poland are doing an awesome job of just like creating the converter, writing the 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 Go uh, structs in English, and then you know putting the mappings alongside them and trying to have the comments and all the details, so that, so that someone else from another country can come along and actually understand what the hell's going on, or even like a Polish person. I mean, nobody knows what P twelve means. I mean, that's just just meaningless gobble. Mm. Uh, gobble, what's it? What, uh, Gobble's right <laughs> on there, right? Gobble. I, I need to improve the things. Eh? Gobble Gobble-ish is pretty good. Maybe you can name your schema language Gobble-ish. Gobble-ish. The Go business language language. It's like an ATM <laughs> machine. Yeah, well, if I would if I would like to add like Israel or whatever, because I'm, I'm looking at regimes, I'm not seeing a, a IL there. Is it like a huge undertaking? Do I have to be a tax? Do I have, under, do I have to understand anything in finance? Because even just setting up our, our merch store was one of the scariest experiences of, of my you know, financial life. I'm not very financially literate. But I, like, I mean, I know what money is. I like it. Could I, uh, do you think it's possible for someone like me who knows Go but uh, isn't a, uh, accountant an accountant? To yeah, to, to I, I do. I, I do think it's relatively easy. Um, you've got a lot of examples there to kind of guide you in what would be required. Um, you know, you know what VAT. I'm, I'm assuming Israel has VAT, for example. Uh, I yeah. guess so. And so it's just a question of knowing what the local VAT rates, having a bit of experience in the system. I mean, you probably know already if there's like some kind of local income tax um, that needs to be applied to invoices, retained taxes. I know it intimately. <laughs> About half my money knows it. <laughs> Uh, but sometimes, like when, if you're, as a freelancer, if you're sending out invoices, you have to retain taxes in certain countries. Again, for the US, mm-hmm. this is completely unheard of. But in in Europe, it's quite common that when you send out an invoice, uh, you ha- you have to ask the customer to retain some of the taxes. Um, yep. Does that, yeah. So if like you have to pay income tax, so you ask your customer to retain fifteen percent, they have to pay the VAT on top. So there's a lot of weird stuff like that in Spain, for example. Um, so just having that kind of local knowledge already, already gives you kind of a really good position to be able to figure out what's required locally. I, I do think it's really worth planning to do electronic invoicing at some point as well. So there's a big switch happening in the world, certainly in, in Europe, towards electronic invoicing. In Latin America, we'd already made the switch like 10 years ago. Um, and that kind of same pattern is coming to the rest of the world where governments are realizing that, hey, if we could digitize this stuff, we can get taxes much more easily. We can have a lot more control over what's happening and, and figure out um, how we can make that all that more efficient. By lowering the barrier of like sending out an invoice, you just get more taxes. Not out of, not out of people who are trying to like game the system, but just people who would trade cash. Uh, with yeah. Well, I'm not sure if it's lowering the barrier because it does, electronic invoicing does make it a little bit more complicated and and this is where i think but you don't have to of, go and buy out an in cartridge and then like jonathan said no, out your no, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mother's no, maiden name to get the invoice back <laughs> uh, yeah no it's, it's definitely easier than that but um i think companies have kind of missed the boat on electronic invoicing i think uh, there's there's a lack in general of the world of being able to communicate more easily between companies i think it's way too paper-based um and i think one of the fundamental reasons for that is because it's so freaking complicated. I think there's a lot of complexity in the business world and business documents. And, and, and that's where I can see like Gobble trying, that's one of our obsessions of just trying to make it a little bit easier. Um, you can imagine, for example, if, if Amazon, just to give us a random example, 
suddenly decided to issue all of their invoices in electronic format. That, how much easier that would make managing Amazon invoices for companies. You, know, you could instantly do the bookkeeping, add it to all your records instantly, and you wouldn't have to faff around with all these PDFs and, and documents and, and everything else that make everything hard work. Um, and, and of course, what's happening now is in a lot of countries, the governments are seeing the opportunity here for taxes, and they're kind of in lots of places leaving the benefits for the companies to one side. So they're making it easier for themselves to get taxes, not necessarily making it easier for commun- companies to communicate between each other. Um, and I see potential problems with that. But yeah, generalizing quite a lot there. But it's, it's, a, it's an interesting, interesting situation. Going back to the topic of conversions, um, you mentioned that this Polish XML variant made me wonder. I, I was reminded of an interview we did about uh, genomics in Go, where trying to convert gene formats to something standard, which sounds like a nightmare because the, the the primary format is basically a space delimited. Uh, you know, it, my imagination is that it, it depends on like lining up things textually. You know, it was designed to print out on a on a line printer in the 1970s or something like like that. We still use that format. Do you have any really crazy formats? Like that, I mean, I've heard of like even like MasterCard still doing clearances with text-based formats. Do you have to deal with anything like that still, or is that fortunately behind us? No, we've not we've not had the opportunity yet. I mean, there's a big global format out there called EDI, um, that's still text-based, um, like column widths, text separation. Um, it's exactly like the format you just described, and that that's still widely used globally. Like big corporations who have the the kind of purchasing power to say to their suppliers, you're going to use this or you're not going to sell to us. Um, they still used technologies like that. And um, so there are things out there that helps you. Uh, there's a company in the US called Steady, I think, uh, and they help convert like JSON into these archaic EDI text formats. Uh, and one of the issues around that as well, and this is one of the reasons why I see like a more of an industrialized standard would help. A lot of these companies tend to add their own things to the format. So it's not like an EDI is universally acceptable everywhere. Like a lot of companies come in and add their own little fields in places, which of course means you have to have specific conversion tools for specific companies, which is an absolute nightmare. Yeah, opening opening EDI's Wikipedia page here is first of all, I can't believe it's it's called EDI because it stands for electronic data interchange, which is like what? <laughs> Be a little more specific, please. Um but once you see a standard and the thing on the standard says some major sets of EDI standards include, <laughs> you know you're you know you're you you are not gonna have a good time. Yeah, yeah. No, and there have been kind of inroads on that. There's a project called Pepple, which was sponsored by the European Union, um, which is one of the wide, most widely spread kind of international formats. It's based on XML. And, and they're doing a pretty cool job of, of getting out. I think one of the big failings of, of Pepple, though, uh, they created a system uh, for document interchange. And they basically invented their own way of document communication. And you, you read, I think, what was it? If you look up AS4 electronic distribution or something like that, e-delivery, they, I mean, this is the first phrases of how they describe the project. It's just utterly, com- totally confusing. It's, it's one of these libraries that, that, you know, definition specifications that only exists in Java. Now, this is the only implementations that exist are in Java because it's so incredibly complicated to implement. And, and that's another one of those things that, like, guys, just, Make it simple. Like this is it doesn't need to make be this it approachable. Hard. Yeah, and that, that's one of the fundamental reasons. What kind of going spinning back here to like go? It's and that's why I love go. No, it's it's it just it just takes no no nonsense. Quick in everything, fast to run, fast to learn, fast to manipulate. It, it's just uh, an excellent language, and that that, that that kind of really attracts me. Just trying to make things simpler because there's already a, a lot of complexity out there. And when you talk about this sort of simplicity or, or approachability, 
Gobble has some companion stuff. You know, if you don't want to write a Go binary that you can still interact with, right? You have a CLI, you have a builder, you have some Ruby stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, so what we're trying to do, there's, there's two parts to that. On one side, we're trying to get it so that you can write Gobble documents in any language. So we have a, a tool that converts um, the JSON schema uh, at the moment, converts it into Ruby, so it'll generate all the classes and the structures and give it a lot of wrappers around that, which is which is really cool. And we'd like to do the same for other languages. We haven't had time or or much demand for that yet, but that's one of the possible thing paths we can go down. So you, you can like bring the whole language into whatever language you're using. I think that's really helpful. Um, and the other thing we're we're kind of really proud of is a tool which is public called Build gobble.org. It's like a, a playground. Um, and it's basically, at the moment, the base version was is just basically embedding the Monaco editor, so like the VS Code editor in, on the web page. And because that has built-in support for JSON schema, it allows you to kind of validate documents, write them, and give suggestions. And it's got some build buttons on there, so you can, you can use the WASM binary inside there. And what's really cool, what we're working on now is is like a, a tool that that will convert that JSON document into something that's a little bit more accessible for people who don't know JSON. So for business people, you know, finance teams and everything else, we're trying to create a version that still has the flexibility of JSON. So you can add all these weird fields we talked about before, um, but is kind of simple and easy to use. So on, on this build site, we're, we're kind of working on a, a tool set there to make it all a little bit more accessible. It seems highly inspired by the Go Playground. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that stuff. That's awesome. It's really cool to see like how the language impacts apps that people build within the language, and, and not the other yeah. way around. Yeah, and JS Fiddle and all, all these kind of tools. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, very much inspiring for that. And, and none of these things exist in like business document world. I think this is like a real first. I you, think you, it's th- because they're fun, and business yeah. document world is not fun. <laughs> yeah, but, anyone, but it could be right. Say. It could be fun. No, and invoices can. No, maybe not. But I mean, yeah, we, you, we you try to make it that fun. to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the official position of the of the show that the invoicing. <laughs> the is ne- the next version of Gobble is going to add like gamification, right? You can win badges and achievement unlocked. <laughs> no, I mean, the the key thing we're missing is capitalism. Right. <laughs> we we definitely need that logo with the turkey. I think that's that that's pretty obvious. I would just uh, tie a string around the gopher's head that's a little bit too tight and has the you know. Turkey uh, thing, <laughs> that's a good one, like a party hat. So we've we've talked about the the concept of gobble and some of the war stories. Um, I'm curious, how can listeners uh, or or which listeners should get involved and how can they start using it? Can they contribute? Just generally speaking, how, how can we answer that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'd be super interested to hear from anybody who's kind of has is dealing with business document problems in Go. I'm not sure how frequent that is. But certainly, I, th- I think what we try to do with Gobble is make it so that it's helpful for anybody who's trying to write a business document. Like even just like a contact is is actually you know when when you're a developer when you you have uh, some how to write down some kind of business details for a contact or something similar that could be actually quite complicated, and you end up reinventing the wheel all the time. So so what we try to do is, is this Go library just predefined structures. JSON, you know, just store it and forget about it. No. So and any developer who's kind of interested in, in just using that kind of side of the project, awesome. If you're doing some kind of invoicing, then, um, you know, let us know. If, you, if you're interested in contributing for, like, your local country, if you want to add a local specifications, just get some of the groundworks in there. It's pretty straightforward. All we need is some of the basic taxes and some kind of tax ID validation if there is some time local tax ID. Um, yeah, we'd be super, super keen to hear feedback. Um, Great. And, and what's the best way to provide that feedback? How can they get in contact with you? Yeah, on the Gobble website, we have the the docs.gobble.org. That's one of the main entry points for learning about the project. 
Uh, obviously, the GitHub page, which is github.com slash infopop slash gobble. And um, there we have the kind of discussions. It's open to send in pull requests there directly. And, and we also have a Slack channel, which is linked. I can't remember the name now. I think it's, we had to, we couldn't use gobble.slack.com. It was, it was something else. So my brain's gone blank. But you can, you can find the links for that inside, inside the documentation site. Wonderful. So it's gobbleschema.slack.com. I just joined. Awesome. <laughs> that, that's uh, that's fantastic. As part of me adding adding Israel to the to do and like committing to yes yes I'm gonna do it. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna create an Israel channel in there so oh. uh, we can. We so can so it's gonna be even sadder when I don't finish that last yeah. time in three months. <laughs> <laughs> that that might just be enough to convince me. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as we always do, uh, we have two questions we like to ask our guests, and we primed you before we hit record. So maybe you've had time to think about it. Somebody's holding a gun to your head. They said, Sam, you have to remove a feature from Go. What would it be? Uh, I mean, the easy choice here is generics. Yeah. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, oh, I, actually, yeah. I actually have used it a few times. But it, it just kind of adds a little bit of noise. Fair enough. That would be my, my main one. the first time we've had that answer. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's totally. an easy one. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a, it's, it's one of these. But I mean, the way they did it, I think is really good. I must admit. Like, yeah. I remember we discussed this, John. Some time ago, like the the way they decide on how to implement is it's it's kind of opt in. It's not too confusing. Not many people use it, so it's yeah. I'm kind of okay with it. But yeah, it's slowly growing on me yeah. as I as I start to actually use it. But let's flip it around the other way. You have the opportunity. You have a magic wand. You can wave it and add some feature to go magically. What would you like to add? Yeah, I'm wondering what Ruby people who did Ruby are usually way into Ruby. So I'm wondering if it's something from there. Yeah, I mean, what I, what I miss about Go is the is like the Ruby community. Um, I mean, it's probably to be too nostalgic. Like in the early days of Ruby, back in two thousand six, is when I started with Ruby on Rails. Um, there was an awesome community, but it was, it was like a feeling of craftsmanship and and that, that kind of we're doing something new and the quality is really important. And that, that sometimes I kind of feel is lacking in a lot of some of the Go stuff. But I don't want to sound too complacent there because I, I think I think it is getting better. A lot of the Go projects are actually really really good. Especially the catch to be related ones, right? Yeah, I mean, that was excellent. Yeah, that's especially it. Good answer. I'm just here to to point out that one thing that we can bring from Ruby is a language that we can name uh, dogs after. Because I'm going to call a dog a gopher, but I I already met three dogs called Ruby because of the language. <laughs> so maybe Go to can be called like you know. I'm gonna start working my kids to call the next dog Gopher. <laughs> gonna, that's gonna, gonna be a bit confusing for everyone, on. I think. <laughs> Even more confusing than EDI. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks cat. a lot, Sam, for jumping on the show. Absolute pleasure. I'll just mention one more time. Uh, if you do want to check out InvoPop and Gobble, it's both on the same site. Uh, you can just go to InvoPop.com or Gobble.org. Go star, read it. I think it's interest, an, an interesting read uh, just in the, in the general sense of seeing a, a Go project that's a little bit different than the usual web service, microservice uh, thing that the language is usually uh, for. And, uh, you know, it sounds like InvoPop's really on a good mission. I hope you beat out the competition and, and make invoicing slightly less horrible. I'm not going to go as far as fun, but slightly slightly less horrific. <laughs> yeah, I mean, making invoicing great again doesn't yeah, really <laughs> that great, was it? But <laughs> It could be good merch, though. <laughs> All right. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Sam. Cheers.